Welcome to the weekend, everybody. And before we jump into the message, you probably are aware, and if you're not, let me remind you that this is Sanctity of Life Weekend, Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I know that as soon as I say that, that for some of you, especially for women who've had an abortion, this is a painful weekend. And I want you to know that we serve a God who loves and a God who forgives and a God who heals. And you are loved by God, and I'm glad you're part of the family of Wooddale Church. But it also is a reminder, I know they would, they would want us all to realize that the gift of life is so very precious and really needs to be honored. You know, we've talked a lot this past year at the number of people who have died because of COVID, and it is tragic and it is terrible. But I want you to realize that it is rather small in comparison to the innocent children whose lives are taken every year in this country and around the world. We have a government that is not friendly toward the sanctity of life. And so we need to be praying every single day for God to move on their hearts and minds to see and to revere that he is the creator of life. And I want to encourage you to do your best to pray for and support those ministries that reach out to bless and help and encourage and heal and give hope to those who have the precious life in their womb. And we support ministries at our church here. All of our ministries we ask to be involved in some aspect of the sanctity of life. And we have a specific ministry that we support that deals very intimately with this in terms of adoption, in terms of sonograms, in terms of alternatives. If you'd like to know more how you could get involved with that, just contact us here at the church by email or phone call. We'll, write, we'll route you to the right folks and get you involved, all right? But let's pray right now. Father, we just want to acknowledge that you are the giver of life, that life is precious. We thank you, Father, you are so filled with grace that you forgive us when we don't take seriously the preciousness of life. I thank you that you forgive, Lord, those who had an abortion. And I thank you, Father, that you offer alternative and hope. And we want to be a church, Lord, that speaks to that hope and that helps folks who need that kind of help in their life. So, Lord, guide us. We pray for our government. We pray, Lord, that there would be a reverence of life, a fear of God, and a movement, Lord, back towards what is truth and what is right. We, we pray for you to help us in these things. In Christ's name, amen. Well, listen, as we get started, I want to tell you about something that is known as a survivor truck. Now, the survivor truck is the uh, brainchild of a security consultant, and his name is Jim uh, DeLozier. And uh, it is a truck that is meant to help you survive Armageddon. Now, let me tell you a little bit about it. It has a Faraday frame, uh, which is especially built to protect the electronics of the truck from, you know, an EMP that might occur. It has uh, filters to deal with nuclear, biological, or chemical threats. It is bulletproof. It actually has a 360-degree camouflage system, which virtually makes it invisible. It comes equipped with hazmat suits with night vision. It also has water desalinization potential. It has a water filtering system in it. It also has an engine that can run on a variety of fuels as well as a generator that can do that as well. 
And I could just keep going and telling you about all the features of this very unique truck. In fact, it is so unique that a family of four could survive in that truck for up to two years off the grid. And it can all be yours for a small price of $600,000. There is the truck, the survivor truck that will keep you and protect you through Armageddon. Seriously, if Armageddon happens and when it does happen, there is no truck on earth that's going to protect anybody. When God finally pours out his wrath and judgment comes, the only thing that will ensure protection is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord spoke these words and said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I hope you know that truth in your life. Well, welcome back to our series, What in the World is Going On? We've been talking about Jesus' words on the future. And in particular, we've been looking at what is called the Olivet Discourse, which just simply means these are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples while they were sitting on the Mount of Olives. And it was in response to some questions that Jesus had for them. To just kind of review where we have been, we began our journey by looking at several passages of Scripture because Matthew, Mark, and Luke each contain elements of the Olivet Discourse. They have different nuances that they give to us. So we've looked at Matthew 24, 1 through 14, Mark 13, 1 through 13, and Luke 21, 8 through 19. That is contextually speaking. And I'd encourage you to go back and read those chapters completely and, and uh, look at the uniqueness of them all and what they're trying to communicate to us. Now, Jesus had stunned his disciples, if you remember, when he informed them that the temple was going to be destroyed and Jerusalem was going to be flattened. And they wanted to know Jesus from Jesus when these words of his would be fulfilled. They wanted to know what the signs would be that the temple's going to be destroyed and what the sign would be of his return and the end of the world. Now, in the minds of the disciples, all these things are going to happen pretty much one right after the other. But what we've learned as detectives in God's Word is that it's not necessarily sequential, meaning one right after the other, after the other, and it's quick and it's done. We realize there is a gap of time that exists, in particular between the destruction of the temple that we know happened in 70 A.D., and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we are all waiting for and pray that he does come soon and takes us home to be with him. Jesus tells us that there are some non-signs we need to be aware of. He says there are events that are going to occur and you've got to be careful that you don't think that when these events occur that I'm returning. These are just going to happen throughout time and sometimes they'll be really intense like a woman in labor and other times there'll be a bit of a lull. Sometimes they'll be more expressive in one part of the world, less so in another. And sometimes it'll feel like the whole world is convulsing. Hence, what in the world is going on? Jesus said there are going to be false messiahs that show up. 
wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes, there'll be famines. And Jesus says there's even going to be persecution throughout all of history until he returns again. Jesus tells us there's going to be times of tribulation as well, leading up to that final tribulation when our Lord Jesus Christ finally returns. And he says, he says, it is important for his followers then and now for you and me to be faithful to him, to be faithful to Jesus, faithful to his word and faithful to his mission. Jesus said to his followers that during this period of time, the gospel would be preached to the whole world and then the end would come. And we, we saw that it was a double prophecy. We saw from the words of Paul in Colossians and Romans that by 70 AD, the gospel had been made known to, to the whole world. Now, Paul died before then, but Paul already in his lifetime was seeing the gospel go out to the known world. And we know that it foreshadows the time when our Lord returns, whenever that's going to be, the gospel again will be given out to the world as it's known now, which is very different than it was in Paul's day. And indeed, missiologists tell us we're only a few, few short years away from getting the gospel out to the unreached regions of the world. May Jesus come soon. So let me ask you a question in light of those things. Are you being faithful to Jesus? Are you being faithful to his word? Are you being faithful to his mission? We moved on then in the Olivet Discourse. We looked at some more passages of scripture. We continued on with Matthew 24, 15 through 28. And that corresponds to Mark 13, 4 through 23. And Luke chapter 21, 20 through 24. And in that passage of scripture, Jesus talks about a prophecy that was given to Daniel hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. And in that prophecy that was given to Daniel, Daniel was informed that in time there would come a despotic ruler who would desecrate the temple. And we know from history that now that was referring to Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who desecrated the temple in 167 B.C. Now, let me just say for a moment that last weekend I blew it. My mouth got ahead of my mind, and I said 167 A.D. And some of you were kind enough to remind me of my mistake, and I want to thank you for doing that, all right? But I got it right this time, 167 B.C. So why is Jesus talking about history when he's supposed to be talking about prophecy? It's because what Jesus is saying to his followers is this. Look, what happened in 167 BC is a foreshadowing of what is going to happen in the near future. That is in 70 AD when the temple was leveled by the Romans and they desecrated the temple by bringing in the Roman standards and Gentiles standing you know, in the Holy of Holies, in the place that was reserved only for the priests. And then we said, you know, in a way, that also foreshadows a time in the future when there'll be another great desecration, when there'll be another abomination of desolation, so to speak. Now, at this point, what I'd like to do is I'd like to create a bit of a timeline for us. And I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to do this. And I guess what I want to say is a timeline in wet cement. What I mean by that is this. 
There are some things that we can know with certainty about the future. There are other things that we know are going to happen, but we're not exactly sure of the timing of how they're going to happen or, or maybe even what the sequence will necessarily be. So I'm going to kind of lay it out and, uh, and then we'll, we'll put some things over that as well. All right. And just remember, you got to hold it kind of loosely. Some of these things we know and some of these things we know are going to happen, but we're going to have to find out how they'll take place and exactly what they mean, whether literal or symbolic. So with that in mind, if you want to kind of draw this out with me, I encourage you to do that. Grab a sheet of paper and, uh, and kind of draw this out. We'll create a line that represents time. So I'll draw my line across my screen here like this. And we'll start our time with the cross of Jesus, all right? So just draw a cross for the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to kind of create a little bit of a circle here. And this is going to re represent the tomb because we know that Jesus was buried in the tomb. I am going to do a small arrow up because we know that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of his father. He's resurrected. And then I'm going to do a bigger arrow up because we also know that Jesus ascended to his father in heaven. All right. Now, somewhere out here, just make like an, uh, an asterisk or an X. And uh, that is going to represent, let's say, 70 A.D., when Jesus prophesied the temple would be destroyed and Jerusalem would be flattened. And then way out here toward the end, just draw an arrow down like this, and that's going to represent the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the line continues on into infinity because life isn't over. Life continues, all right? So hopefully you kind of have that picture in your mind right now. Now, Jesus said, and I'm going to use some initials here, he says that between his resurrection and, and ascension and return, there's going to be, and we've talked about this, there's going to be false messiahs during this time. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars during this time. He says that there is also going to be earthquakes during this time. He says that there are going to be famines during this time. He says that there's going to be persecution during this time. He says there's going to be tribulations during this time, small t. And we believe that at some point out here, there's going to be the big T, a seven-year tribulational period. And during all of this time, Jesus says that the gospel message, all right, the gospel is to be preached to the whole world, then the end will come. So kind of get that in mind. And I realize that there are a lot of things missing right now on uh, this particular uh, draft that I've done for you. And, and I'll kind of point those out as you look at it for a moment. So for instance, we also know we'll be touching a little bit on this next week when uh, we are together for part two of the message. We know that during this time, 1 John 2 tells us, and uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us there will be antichrists, small a. There were in Jesus' day, there was in the day of the apostles, and there are today. And then there will be the antichrist, or as Paul calls him, the lawless one. We also know that during this time, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and other passages of Scripture, 
human rebellion will be on the increase. And I think we sense that in our world today. We also know that when Jesus returns, it's going to be a remarkable return. All right? Matthew 24 talks about that. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about this weekend, more so next weekend. <clears throat> so does Revelation chapter 1. It'll be unmistakable. Listen, there is no secret coming of Jesus. And I know that raises questions about the rapture. Pastor, do you believe in the rapture? When do you think it'll happen? Before the tribulation? During the tribulation? After the tribulation? We'll touch a little bit upon, on that next weekend as well. We know that God's wrath and judgment are going to be poured out according to, first, uh, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We know there's, a, there's going to be rewards eventually. God's going to reward those who have been faithful to him and those who have served him. Matthew 25 talks about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about that. We know there's going to be a millennial rule, a thousand-year rule. And, you know, some people say that's a literal thousand years. Some people say it's a figurative thousand years. I think it's a literal thousand years. We'll touch a little bit on that as well. And then we know there's going to be new heavens and new earth. Revelation 21 can't wait for that day that is awaiting all of us in the future. So there's a lot more to talk about. We can't talk about everything all right, we're looking specifically at Jesus' words on the future, but we'll be referring to some of those things as we move on. Now, let's jump back into our text and what Jesus says about the future. Let me get my, my board erased here, and uh, we'll take a look at that text. Here we go. Ready? Then Jesus says, and by the way, this is an important word, all right, because it seems to mark a transition where Jesus is now going to move away from the events of what we think of as 70 AD history to us, now to the future that is ahead of us, where and when, I don't know, we don't know, all right? But we know he's talking probably about future things. He says, then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Let me stop there for a moment, all right? Because when he says, if possible, he means really it's impossible, but it's, it's going to be so intense that you would think that those who are chosen would fall away. It's going to be that intense, he says there are going to be false prophets, false teachers of signs and wonders. And listen, that, that exists in the world today. We don't see it so much in our country, though. I think we're going to see more and more of it. But around the world, there, there's demonism. There's, there's works of Satan. There are supernatural things that happened. And I was reading some things recently. I'll talk more about it next weekend, about artificial intelligence and just the capacity, the capacity to fool people with AI. And uh, I've been doing a lot of reading about this whole idea of the social imaginary and how if you say things long enough and often enough that aren't true, if you create a scenario through the media, through drama, through movies, through music, over and over again, you can actually brainwash a whole lot of people to believe something that's not true to be true. And I think we've experienced that as well in recent times. Jesus goes on and he says, see, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert. Don't bother to go and look. Or look, 
He is hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Now, I'll talk more about that next weekend, but the point Jesus is making is, look, particularly in the night sky, when lightning flashes, you can't miss it. When Christ comes, you can't miss it. He says, just as the gathering of vultures show there is a carcass nearby, don't read way into that. The idea is when you got a bunch of buzzards circling above in the sky, you can't hide them. You, you see it's there. Jesus is making a point. When I return, you're going to know it. The world is going to know when I return. So these signs indicate that the end is near. That the end is near. So these are important words that, that Jesus is putting out there. And when I look at these, there are some, there are some principles that, that are emerging. And here's the first principle. I think what Jesus is saying is, beware and on guard, Mark says in his version, beware and on guard against impersonators and false representatives of Christ. Now, this is a common theme, not just with Jesus, but with John and with Paul as well, and with Peter. You read the book of Acts carefully, and there's just over and over again this emphasize, watch out, there are false teachers out there, false prophets, false messiahs, and it can be so easy to be deceived by them. Jesus says a great delusion toward the end is going to come upon the world. And there'll be signs and wonders and people will be so easily fooled. And while those who truly know Christ will stand fast and faithful, many will apostatize. Look what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He said, no one is to deceive you. No one is to deceive you in any way. And, you know, as I say that, I, I just want to suggest that this this past year, there's been a lot of deception taking place and, and a lot of believers who, who have bought into things that, that are not from the Word of God. People saying things that maybe we want to hear and want to believe, but not necessarily from the Word of God and not necessarily true. He says, For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of of destruction. Now let's talk about this word apostasy. The word apostasy means to fall away. To fall away. Uh, in his fine commentary on the future, Anthony Hukama writes these words. Listen carefully. He says, the fact that this sign is called a falling away or apostasy implies that this will be a rebellion against the Christian faith as it has been heard or professed. We may therefore assume that those who fall away will be at least outwardly associated with the people of God. The apostasy will occur within the ranks of the visible church. Those who are true believers will not fall away, but many who have made an outward profession of the faith will do so, will do so. And it reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Remember what he said? Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. 
On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Folks, we need to pay attention to those words of Jesus given the days that we're living in. Or how about the words Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak? Paul wrote Timothy and said, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons or that are demonically inspired. Now we've been talking about some of these things over the last several weeks. Let me remind you of some things. First of all, a couple of weekends ago, I, I talked about this phenomenon that seems to be happening in churches where young people are graduating from high school and uh, graduating from church and leaving home and going off to college and not coming back to church and walking away from the faith. And as youth specialists have looked into this and what's going on and, and researchers have studied it, what they've come up with is that a lot of these young people who do this never own the faith themselves. They profess their parents' faith. They profess the faith of the church. They went to all the activities. They, they went to the motions of it, but they never owned that faith themselves. We have also talked about a little bit about the decline in, in church attendance across the country and, and even the decline in people claiming to be Christians themselves. Now, what researchers have discovered is what's really taking place is you have a lot of people who live on the periphery of Christianity. They live on the periphery of church life. But we are seeing more and more walk away from the church and, and deciding, eh, I don't really want to be a part of that and, and buying into the culture's ideas, the culture's philosophy, the, the spirituality of the culture. And then we talked about progressive Christianity. And the appeal of progressive Christianity, which, which is, in essence, editing the Bible, editing out the things we don't like morally, the things that we don't like about what God says about hell or judgment, sanitizing the Bible, so to speak, and, and kind of reinventing Jesus to, to kind of fit in with the culture. And that becomes very appealing to many folks. And what's happening is you're finding out who the remnant are. We're, we're finding out who are the true believers in who Jesus is and what he has said. And that's why we're investing a lot into our next-gen ministry, why we've brought on an expert in next-gen ministry in Ken, uh, in Ken Castor, who's joined our team, Dr. Ken Castor. And, and I was going to work with our great staff to create a ministry here from birth to college to where we're equipping you as parents and equipping our students to know what they believe and to be able to, to deal with the hard questions that are put in front of them, the challenges of their faith, and making sure they've internalized that faith in their lives. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what you believe? Do you believe what you know? Do your kids know what they believe? Do your grandkids know what they believe? Do they believe what they know? That is so important. And that takes us to a second principle in the passage of Scripture. And that is that the second coming of Jesus is not going to be, as I said, it is not going to be a secret coming. We go back to the Olivet Discourse 
and we see in Matthew 24, 29 through 31, and the, and the other passages in Mark and Luke, a talk, a discussion of Jesus about these great cosmic events that are going to happen. Here's what he says. It says, immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the people of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. You know, as I read those words to you, I, I, I want to be fair with you and, and let you know that there are good uh, godly scholars who read these words and, and they believe that those words Jesus spoke were fulfilled in 70 AD. Now, I don't agree with them. I don't see how they can arrive at that. And uh, I've been reading other theologians and experts, Andreas Kostenberger, um, uh, uh, Alexander Stewart, uh, Paolo Macara, D.A. Carson, and, and others who say there's some reference to 70 AD, but these words are really talking about the future. How can we know? How can we know that these words are about the future when you've got eminent theologians saying, no, it's about 70 AD? And in order for me to answer that question, you've got to come back next weekend because that's when we're going to kind of wrap up this end of Jesus' teaching on the future and then we're going to move into some other words of Jesus in the Gospels on, uh, in, in the weeks ahead and what he had to say about the future as well. However, in the time I have left, I want to talk to you as your friend and I want to talk to you as your pastor about what has happened over this past year or couple of years. I feel like one of my responsibilities is to shepherd and protect and to also challenge. And I'm going to challenge you with some ideas and some thoughts. And I want you to know that I'm kind of putting myself on the other side as well. I'm challenging myself. These are things I've been wrestling with in my own heart as well. I want to share with you some uh, things that, that uh, I think we need to hear and they might be hard to hear. You may disagree with me and let's just agree to disagree if that's the case. Um, I've been uh, doing a lot of reading, a lot of thinking, a lot of praying. And I came across some words by Dr. Jim Dennison that uh, just really spoke to my heart. And so I kind of want to share out of some of the things that, that he was sharing and give you some thoughts to think about. But he brought up the fact that in this past year especially, we've really, we've really lost our witness as believers to this world. You know, generally speaking, uh, here in our country especially. He's talked about the kinds of things that have been said that are not true that we've kind of bought into and, and, and tarnished our witness to the world. Some of the behavior that's kind of taken place with Christians. I think in the beginning, there's an intention and desire to be, to be uh, zealous for God and zealous for morality and zealous for our country and the right things. But I think sometimes in that zealousness, we get away from remembering who we're supposed to be. You know, the world might be changing, but we can't let it change our behavior. We can't let it change our witness. And especially this past year, 
as we talk about our former president, President Trump, and, and the faith leaders that were kind of surrounding him. Some of the things that have been said, one, one faith leader, and I won't give the name necessarily, but, but one faith leader who was very close to the president, uh, a televangelist, you know, came out and said that God had given her, given her a prophecy, had given her a dream that, that angels were being dispatched from Africa and South America to our country to take on this confederacy of demons that were trying to steal the election. And people believed all this and they bought into that, began to pray about that. Another uh, uh, self-proclaimed prophet said in October that, that the vote in Pennsylvania was going to turn everything around and save this country from destruction. Another megachurch pastor just the last couple of weeks came out and uh, prayed down curses on those who would dare to impeach the president. And I read specifically the curses that he prayed in his prayer. And as I read those things, I realized that Jesus would never say anything like that about his enemies. And then beyond that, there's been just some failures amongst Christian leaders that's, that's been devastating, at least for me, as I, I've looked up to them. One man, uh, a megachurch pastor, a, a man of great influence, uh, was just sentenced to six years in prison for defrauding people out of millions of dollars selling junk Chinese bonds. Another leader who passed away this year, uh, one, of best, one of the best known Christian apologists in the world, we found out after his death, which is so tragic, uh, led a double life for at least a period of his life toward the end. And uh, just, just moral failure there. And uh, it's just been devastating to read that and see that. And, and when I read those things and I see those things, I, I just realize it's been a really hard year. 2020 was a really brutal year for believers and their witness to this world. And Jim just kind of shared some thoughts and passages that really spoke to my heart that I, that I just want to share with you to think about. As you think about all the things that have been said and all the things that have been believed and all the things that have been passed around on emails and, and, and that have been texted and that have been preached and have been told. Listen to the first principle that, that, that Jim comes up with. You know, it comes out of this idea that, you know, you got to measure human words by the word of God. You got to measure human words, words of pastors and preachers and teachers. But, and by the way, I believe that God works in supernatural ways today. I do believe God gives visions and dreams. But when God gives that to someone and they share it, I don't think we should ever share it as thus saith the Lord. As though we're speaking scripture now. I mean, you got to watch and see, is this true? I've got to measure those words by the word of God. Look what, look what the scripture says. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And I think, I think what's happened this, this past year is sometimes we've actually used human words to measure God's word instead of God's word to measure human words. You know, there's been a lot of talk about this thing called QAnon. And, and I, I'm not going to get into that as much as to say 
the Bible, the Bible rates way above what some anonymous person is putting out there, much of it having proven to be untrue. And I've got to take my cue from the scripture, not from the internet. And what God has to say and what his truth is, not from progressive Christianity or celebrated Christians, but from what God has to say. Secondly, hold leaders accountable for biblical morality. Hold leaders accountable for biblical morality. Look what the scriptures say. And you yourselves must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. In other words, live your life and say, and say what is the truth. Live the truth and say what is the truth. So you don't bring shame on the gospel. You don't ruin your witness. When I read about these men and women who have these failures, it does two things to me personally. One, it causes me to pray much, pray much for them and those who are impacted by their lives. And the second thing, it drives me to my knees because I'm reminded I am human too. And if not for the grace of God, there go I. How important it is to stay accountable how important it is to stay in the word. How important it is to humble ourselves every day. Not just because of my relationship with God, but because of my witness to the world. And the world is watching us and listening to us. And when it sees us act like it, it doesn't impress anybody. And then they don't believe other things that we say. I wonder if in this past year, rather than helping the secular world around us and leaders around us become more like Christ, we've allowed them to make us more like the world in our behavior and our words and our actions. I know that's a question I've really had to search my own heart about and ask. And finally, seek, grow, seek a growing intimate relationship with Jesus. Seek an intimate growing relationship with Jesus. The scriptures say in the book of John, yes, I and the vine, Jesus said, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you hear that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. I read in my quiet time about a week ago, I think it was in John chapter six, where Jesus just says human effort is useless. Human effort is useless. And I feel like we've expended so much human effort. Folks, it's time to get on our knees and stay on our knees. And get on our knees and stay on our knees for our families, for ourselves, for our nation, for the new administration. It's time for us to realize we're not going to change the world by calling people names by throwing stones, by rioting, by getting angry, by, by passing around things that are not true, things we want to be true but are not true. We're only going to change the world by our love. Jesus made that clear over and over and over again. I'm not so worried that our country's divided. 
I am very concerned that the church of Jesus is divided these days. And while I can't be responsible for any other church, I'm just saying to those of you who are part of Wooddale Church, let's be unified in Christ. Let's be unified in his word. Let's agree that we can disagree on some things. But we are one in Christ because, listen carefully, the world needs us. And they need the best from us. And the best from us is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we take these words and these thoughts to heart and mind, these are difficult days, Lord. And we all want the best for our country. We all want the best for our family. We want the best for ourselves. But Lord, you did not call us to go into this world and make politicians. You did not call us to go into this world and make legislation. You didn't call us to go into this world and protest. You call us to go into this world and preach the gospel. Preach it with our words and preach it with our lives. Please, Lord, please bring your church for the sake of this nation back to the cross, back to Jesus, back to his word, back to his compassion. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and you don't want to miss next weekend.